0: new york i'm allison and i'm here with meredith hi hi did anything um anything exciting happen since the last time we got together
1: Mm, not much but we do have a special guest in the podcast den tonight
0: guess who and who is it i i'm (laughs) blind tonight so i don't know well
1: it is one of our and if not our number one fan And a
0: bit of a contributor to the show.
1: A bit of a contributor to the show. He is the voice of our bloopers, and it's my nephew, Brady.
2: (laughs) Hello.
1: (laughs) So Brady's going to hang out with us a little bit tonight um, and listen to us uh, record this podcast. So um, I believe we left off last week. We were in a, we thought it was a quaint town named Dryden, but it doesn't seem to be uh, so nice and hallmarky and quaint.
0: No, it doesn't, but one more little thing about Dryden is that it was said to be the town that It's a Wonderful Life is based on.
1: Which is like one of my favorite movies, which just, now you just ruined it for me. <laughs>
0: You're welcome. Uh, we right. just want to do two quick shout-outs. I want to say that we got our first $9.11 PayPal donation Yay! from Margaret. <laughs> Thank you, Margaret. And we also want to do a shout-out to somebody that is related to the two of you.
1: Yes, that shout-out is to Luke. Luke is my other nephew and Brady's brother. All right, so, um, okay, so- we're on to case number three in, I believe, a, a, a time span of 10 years. Yes.
0: Okay. About four years after the Harris family murders and Eliza Bush's death, another couple was happily enjoying their first year of living together. They were together for four years and had plans to get married in a few months. Colleen Muma and Paul Jackson were in love. When they moved in together into a trailer park, they met and became friends with Scott Hume. So, like, three's a crowd, or sometimes mm-hmm. a close friend is a bit too close. Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. It can happen. It can happen.
0: Colleen ended up falling in love with Scott, mm. but, of course, she didn't tell Paul about it. She kept living with Paul, but he could kind of sense that something was wrong. Something was off in their relationship. After secretly seeing Scott for a month or two, Paul confronted Colleen in July of 1993, and she did admit to the affair with Scott. She moved out of the trailer and into an apartment with a friend. Now, Paul took this very hard. He was heartbroken, devastated. He was seen, like, crying in bars. He was just very depressed. Uncontrollably crying, started abusing drugs and alcohol. Yeah, they were together for four years. Yeah, wasn't and planned on getting married in a few months. So right. So Paul did tell Scott to stay away from Colleen, and he threatened Colleen and told her to stay away from Scott. But a fatal decision. uh, Neither one of them listened to his warnings. Mm. On August fourteenth, nineteen ninety four, Paul was on his way to his brother's apartment and had to drive past where Colleen lived. In Dryden, He saw Scott's truck, and he knew Scott was with Colleen in her apartment. He took a knife from his truck and tried the door, and he found it unlocked. And we've said this in a couple of the episodes, that they just leave doors unlocked in this town. Uh, Right. Which is understandable. Right. He found Colleen, Scott, and Colleen's roommate napping on couches. Scott woke up when Paul came in and said, get the fuck out. And Paul just stabbed him through the heart, and he died. Colleen's roommate did wake up and saw Paul. She was scared that he was going to attack her too, but he didn't, and he just fled. And in an interview that he did many years later, he said that he did have that thought at that moment to just eliminate everyone in the apartment.
1: I would I would think he would because of, you know, they're all witnesses now. Right. So I would think that out of fear and— adrenaline is pumping and you're angry i'm surprised that he didn't well, i am at too least he didn't yet unless something else happens
0: so this part i you know i don't even know if it's significant or i don't get it but as her roommate was trying to call for help she was in shock she was having trouble dialing the right phone number and she said the last thing scott said was he gave her the phone number to the local ambulance company and then he just was unconscious right I mean, she doesn't know how to dial 911. I don't know if, I mean, 911 was definitely in effect. I'm not sure why. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess in a crisis situation, we can't really judge.
1: Uh, No, no, no. I'm not right. I'm not judging. I'm just, you know, it's it's,
0: uh, puzzling to me. Paul later said he couldn't believe they were stupid enough to leave the door unlocked. An hour after the murder, Paul went to the police station with his father and brother and turned himself in.
1: So wait, let me get this straight. So, oh, they're stupid enough to leave the door unlocked. Therefore, he deserves to be killed. Like I mean, they made it
0: too easy for him. They made it too
1: easy for him. If, to, for him if the door was
0: locked, he would have never done it.
1: And not all of our <laughs> crime committers are very
0: bright. In also some of known these cases as criminals. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mara, can you just tell us a bit about Scott, please?
1: Sure. So Scott Hume was born on July 30th, 1967. He graduated from Dryden High School in 1986 and was on the varsity wrestling squad. He was a carpenter and a volunteer firefighter, which actually makes sense now that he knew the phone number to the
0: volunteer. Correct. So when Paul goes in and confesses, he is now arrested. His defense at trial was extreme emotional disturbance. He was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 15 years to life. His earliest parole date was August 10, 2008, and the latest he could be released was September 8, 2014. At his sentencing, he said, My actions caused a great deal of harm and sorrow for the people involved. There's nothing I can do or say that will make up for the tragedy my actions caused. I wish with all my heart those things hadn't happened. I feel like he's not saying, I guess I feel like my actions caused, but your actions didn't cause it, you did. Right. Like, just say, uh, I'm sorry for what I did. Right. He's like, well, I I, I, I just... wish those things hadn't happened. They didn't just happen.
1: Right. Now that we've read a lot of these statements from the criminals that we've been speaking about, there always seems to be a little bit of a detachment From Mm -hmm. the crime, whether it's, you know, emotional detachment where they don't want to take responsibility for what they've done or they want to blame it on somebody else or something else. And I mean, you had said that the earliest parole date was 2008 and then the release date was 2014, right? So we are now in 2019. Mm -hmm.
0: What else do we know? So you're going to see what happens with Paul and the rest of his life. While in prison, he became more addicted to drugs and ended up spending an entire year in solitary confinement, Mm. which... That's a long time. That's a long time by yourself. Yes. Also, time to dry out. At this point, he realized he needed to turn his life around, got sober. Are we and talking
1: rehabilitation here?
0: We are talking rehabilitation here. Okay. Um he got out of prison and in July of 2017 he got married and he now has a son. Oh. Okay.
1: Well, he got a um he got a second chance, right? That's good news. Is I mean, do we know anything about I mean, obviously he had a son, but do we know if he committed any more crimes?
0: No, do he didn't commit if... any more crimes.
1: Okay, so that's crime number 3. In the lovely town of Dryden. Yes. Um, and I take it we are going to number four now.
0: We are going to number four. In the fall of 1994, J.P. Merchant started hanging around with the Dryden High School kids. He was known as being very dark and mysterious. His friends described him as very intelligent but somewhat abusive. Uh, this is kind of demonstrated with his first relationship. Uh, his girlfriend's name was Sherry Fitz and she had committed suicide Uh, he thought he would never get over it but her friends really did question whether she actually committed suicide or whether it was a result of a fight they had and maybe he had done something to her they had been fighting and he at one point had kicked kick the taillight and broken it on her car during an argument so the friends weren't sure and she had also just made plans for her future she was a junior, so she had set up some college visits, so it just didn't seem to add up to her close friends. Okay. So a few years later, JP meets Amber Starr, and he's just enamored with her. At this point, he's 20, and she is a high school senior. She's a popular cheerleader, and he falls hard and fast for her and is just, like, desperately in love with her. I feel like you... Everyone feels, like, desperately, ridiculously in love when they're a teenager.
1: Yes. Uh, So uh, he's in that
0: uh, headspace.
1: Absolutely. And you don't realize until later on that, you know, you you are going to feel that again probably
0: with somebody else. And also, as wonderful as that feels, when it's gone, it's going to feel, like, as high as it is, it's going to go that low. Well, unfortunately for JP, he was a bit more in love with Amber than she was with him, which... Also another rite of passage for teenage love. Yeah, but it almost seems to be the
1: M.O. for this guy. Right. He falls deep and then gets obsessive and abusive.
0: So Amber broke up with J.P. and he was absolutely devastated. And instead of doing what, you know, the guy in the last case did, which is just drinking and crying and doing drugs, this one decides he's going to start stalking her. So he's calling her constantly, showing up where she's going to be, showing up at her house, showing up at her cheerleading practice, calling, asking for her back, threatening to kill himself if she doesn't take him back. So she, you know, is a nice girl. She tries to like talk to him and reason with him, but is not taking him back. She's just trying to be like a friend now. Right. But every time she talks to him, instead of calming things down, it seems to make it worse because he's got a little hope So it kind of keeps him interested. So by December, Amber has started seeing someone else. Okay. He now calls her and threatens to kill her new boyfriend. Now at this point, Amber's father is Stephen Starr. He's out of town at a basketball tournament. He is the Dryden High School football coach and a sixth grade teacher. He was an amazing man. There's a photo of him with God, family, and football on a shirt.
1: Now, we had said that she was a cheerleader at Dryden High School. Right. So he's the football coach yes. at the same high school where she is a cheerleader. Right.
0: He's out of town at the basketball tournament. Amber's sister and her mother go to the police because he's now threatened the new boyfriend. On December 27th, they file a formal complaint. In it, the sister t- told the court, I am very afraid of John. That's JP. Okay. Not only for myself, but for my entire family, because John is stalking us. I feel if John continues to come near us, he is going to seriously hurt us. Amber's mother told the court, I am very concerned with John's calls and driving up our road and the way he always seems to know what is going on with our lives. I'm very afraid of him, and I don't know how to stop him. They wanted an order of protection, but for some reason, they didn't get one. There's either... Someone at the police station dropped the ball, or the judge did. There's no clear. It's a bit of a controversy about that. Okay. The sheriff, though, did go out and arrest JP, but his family posted his $500 bail.
1: I was going to say, how long can you keep him? I mean, if he hasn't done anything, you know what I'm saying? At this point, it's just there hasn't really been a crime committed. No. It's more of a, a harassment type of thing. Right.
0: So once he gets out, his family, you know, posts the bail. He just starts calling her and threatening her and showing up again. It's, it's got like a glutton for punishment. It's I like mean, an obsession, though. At that point, yeah, I mean, he's not going to stop. So again, on December 28th, they go to the police, but this time Amber goes with them. Again, I don't think they get the order of protection, which really doesn't matter. At well,
1: this point. the other thing is, I'm surprised that Amber didn't
0: go with them the first time. I mean, maybe it, she was like, no, maybe she didn't want that. I feel like a, as a teenager, I'd be like, no, don't that's you're blowing it out of proportion. Don't go. And and now on December 29th, an officer starts watching their house, the star okay. house to kind of keep a lookout, make sure that JP doesn't try to make good on his threats. So this blows my mind when the officer shift ends, he just goes home and nobody takes over for the overnight. So what's the point? Like the most vulnerable time and nobody's there to watch the house i think that's absolutely ridiculous
1: when does uh, yeah i mean when does the next shift come around i would think it's maybe they don't have enough manpower for for 24 hour watch or 24 hour surveillance
0: yeah so late that night stephen Starr, the father the coach the beloved coach Gets home from his basketball tournament. He's super happy to be home with his family. He's, he was like total devoted family man. And Amber tells the story that as she was ready to go to bed, she her father passed by with some cookies and milk. That was like his thing. like He couldn't turn down cookies and milk. She yelled to him, and she doesn't know why she did this. She said, Dad, wait, stop. I love you. And they hugged, and he said, I love you too, kiddo. And then she went off to sleep, and... He went off to sleep, and the night was quiet and still and perfect. Nothing happened. But then early the next morning, around 7.30, one of Amber's sisters wakes up to, like, a loud noise. And as she gets up to kind of investigate, she opens her door, and she sees JP standing there with a shotgun. No. So she slams the door. He can't get in, and he just moves on. She locked the door?
1: He can't shoot through that?
0: I think he just was like, whatever. That's not why he was there. Oh, right. He, he was there he for had. Amber. So now he goes to Amber's room, and he wakes her up. And he tells her, you know, let's go. We're going. So Steven Starr hears this commotion, and he comes into Amber's bedroom to protect her. To and protect kind of his like daughter. throws her, you know, is like, go run. And he comes in to protect her. And JP just turned and shot him twice once hit his one hit his rib cage oh. and then once in the forehead with a 20 gauge shotgun oh my god so he was killed i don't know any father that wouldn't do that but i don't know if that's a true statement it seems pretty amazing that he you don't have time to think in a situation like that you're either going to do that or you're not the kind of person that's going to do that
1: i feel like a father would
0: so now the father has been shot Amber, her sisters, and her mother run from the house, like screaming. J.P. reloads and starts firing into the woods where he thinks they have run. Thankfully, they had run in the opposite direction to a neighbor's house. So once J.P. realized his mistake, he started to follow them. Then for some reason, he simply just got into his car and drove away from their home.
1: This guy's nuts.
0: After he left the star home, he drove to the cemetery where that girlfriend, Sherry, had been buried after she committed suicide, and he sat there and put the shotgun to his head and killed himself. He was found at, obviously, at her... At her gravesite? Gravesite, yes.
1: Oh, my God. The only thing I can think of is that, I mean, he obviously had issues before. Right. Right. But you know, did the suicide of his
0: girlfriend,
1: or the you know the former girlfriend, kind of put him mentally over the edge, or was they said he, he was
0: very much quieter and moodier after that? But they speculate, and they I say the f- few interviews I saw of some people that knew them at the time, mm-hmm. that it could either be that he was so sad because of what happened, or, or he did something to her and felt guilty, and felt guilty. So I
1: Okay, so he so
0: he so kills himself. He kills and- himself and years later Amber had some advice that she said she wished she knew at the time. She said, anyone in a situation like that, just cut off all contact and go get professional help to deal with the situation. Don't try to do it yourself. I don't know. She's just saying for anyone in that finds himself in that situation ever, right. you know, cut off all contact. Don't entertain any of the bullshit and get professional help.
1: You also it's it's kind of hard because you don't think at that young of an age no that someone's going to have the capability to do something like that. So that's um and does it say anything else? I mean, I guess, about well, the family or The
0: the Star family, as I had said, they had asked for the order of protection and for some reason whether it was a mix-up with the police officers or the judge or whatever, both of those parties have put the blame on each other mm. for not getting the order of protection done. So the family did sue the county law officials for this, and they filed a three thirty one million lawsuit. I could not find what they ended up getting.
1: Okay. And- I mean, it doesn't matter. No money's going to be able to bring no. somebody back and change the outcome. So- you can give me, you know, $20 million it doesn't bring my dad back. You know right. what I mean?
0: So I kind of touched on what a great man that Stephen Starr was. But there's this interesting story that I found. I wanted you to read it. Okay.
1: Apparently, there's an article about twin boys from Dryden, from the Dryden area who were known as troublemakers. And their mother and father divorced when they were four. Their father was a war veteran and an alcoholic, and their mother remarried their stepfather when the twins were five. They moved to Florida for six months, and then they moved back to the Dryden area. And when their stepfather had lost his job, the family started to struggle financially. And so the boys knew they would be treated as minors by the court, so they began stealing things they wanted but couldn't afford. And they hung out with a group of kids that fought, drank, and did drugs. And one night, Steven Starr ran into them at a park, and he threatened to beat the twins up if they didn't show up at football practice the next day. The boys came to practice and tried to straighten out, but eventually they reverted back to their old ways. So the next season, one brother started to spend more time on the football field, and he straightened out. The other brother ended up getting arrested, but then he came back to the football field. The twins were eventually made co-captains of the team, and one brother is quoted as saying, I cried more at his funeral than I did at my father's. So it's I, just an example of like he, the impact. He took them under his wing, mm-hmm. gave them a chance, gave them tough love, and... Turned their lives turned around. Turned their lives around. Like they're yeah.
0: successful... Adults now.
1: That's sad.
0: Yeah, so he was really an, an integral part of the community. Yeah.
1: So now we've got four crimes in this one town within okay. a 10-year period. And really, the, the we, we haven't even gotten to, like, the sixth year yet. I mean, this seems to be all in the same time frame. Right. So this is all in about
0: five, five to six years.
1: Right. And so we've got more crimes
0: coming. Over the next... Five years. There's more crimes to come. That's crazy in this small town. I, I don't Mysterious even want to say crimes, happens. just tragedies. More tragedies. Tragedies. Happen.
1: I was gonna say this sounds like a town I want to live in, but um, not anymore.
0: So again, thank you everyone for listening. Okay. And if you're if you're buying what we're selling. If you're eating what I'm cooking, I was just going to say, if you're smelling what I'm cooking, then please give us a five star rating and a nice review. PayPal donation would be awesome. Brady, do you know our website?
2: www.nefariousny.com.
0: Excellent. Are you going to sing us out? Oh, Brady's going to sing us out tonight. So we'll be back with more cases from Dryden, New York next week. Go ahead, Brady
1: let's <laughs> right,
2: we'll sing it together ready all right nefarious <laughs> new york stay tuned for uh bloopers for allison and meredith after the music <laughs> With and uh, I've been going to ever since I was young, and I just and I've been in the city a lot, mm-hmm. so just to see that all these crimes happen there uh, or near there is just baffling to me.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and you really like the um, you like the research involved. Yeah. Like you yeah. you pay a lot of attention. I feel like to the details yeah. of a case, and you even write also mm-hmm.
2: yeah, a little bit. Time to time, which is, and it's just a pastime um, that I'm very
0: happy to do. Um, you okay. mm, yeah. might have to research one of our cases. I'll have mm-hmm. to give you my newspapers.com password.
1: Mm. Mm. All right. About the people that are constantly walking upstairs and making a lot of I'll fucking noise I'll tell you what I know about the them.
0: I know a lot about them. <laughs> I could do a whole podcast on the shit I got on them. You a little testicle today, huh, Bryn? A little bit. I didn't eat enough today. Actually-
2: Say it out, Brady. <laughs> 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 Nefarious New York. <laughs> Say it like you mean it. Stay tuned for bloopers <laughs> Stay tuned for bloopers of Allison Amir that's after the music. <laughs>